0: Hi, I'm Joel Bakken, and this is the Unfortunately Necessary Podcast, Episode 2, Part 2, Protest and Politics, where we continue the story of climate justice activist Anjali Apadurai's journey into electoral politics. Here she is in a clip from the campaign trail.
1: This has turned into the most exciting race. I'm Anjali Apadurai. I'm a climate justice activist, a musician, and a person who has spent my life in the pursuit of justice. I entered politics because of what's at stake. I care deeply about people. I care that each of us has a fair chance at a good life. I've never run for office before, but this summer, as we breathed in the smoke from an unprecedented wildfire season raging across the province, combined with a heat wave that took hundreds of lives, I knew it was time for people like me to step up to the plate and become the leadership that we need.
0: Hi, Anjali. Well, thanks so much for coming back. We did that interview with you before the election. And uh, now that it's all over, we'd like to talk to you again. In particular, I just want to ask you, I mean, you came so close. Uh, It was a real sort of back and forth and, you know, counting every last vote and all of that. Uh, And you did the best in that writing that a progressive party has ever done. How did the experience leave you feeling about the possibilities for truly progressive electoral politics? Mm,
1: Great question, Joel. My feeling before going into this experience was that I had not held much stock in it at all. I actually kind of went into it sort of holding my nose, thinking, all right, let's do this. Let's do this as a long shot to push the conversation on the climate emergency and to reframe some things maybe around what's uh, the level, the scale and speed of action that that we need to take right now. And I never expected to find beauty in a political campaign. It was just not something that I had ever thought was possible. I discovered a wealth of beauty. It was a really positive experience and I still haven't really uh, drawn the lessons out of it. But we did so much more than push the conversation. We activated people who had not been politically active before, and had certainly not been active on a political campaign before. One of my biggest takeaway, I know all the social science says this, but I'd never actually experienced this for myself and my work. It's as cliche as it sounds, the power of hope for what to do in the face of inequality and climate change it sparked something in people. I, I think they even surprised themselves with, and that's why we saw so many people actively, you know, actually showing up, physically showing up where they had never done so before. Cause they, it was just that final spark of like, oh, there's an actual viable path here. I have hope now. I'm feeling grateful for that. I'm feeling really amazed to witness that phenomenon of like hope being such a galvanizing thing.
0: Wow. that's. uh That's beautiful. I think Kat had a few questions she wanted to ask you too.
2: Full disclosure, I got myself involved in this campaign. I was one of the people who's never done that before in all of my years, actually gotten into a party politic situation inspired by Anjali and and not just you, but this movement that I witnessed all around you. And I wonder if you could just speak to that a bit. I know you have also done so during the campaign when you rallied the volunteers
1: my heart will always be with social movements as the beating heart and the moral compass. And this is how we need politics to be done in this country. We need movements and communities of people to lift candidates into the leadership roles that we need with that vision and that imagination for
2: what our world could actually look like, what our city and our communities could actually look like. Just tell me a bit about who these people are that rallied around you and, and what that represents as a new way of doing politics in Canada, I hope. You know,
1: as an activist coming into politics, I knew that the team around me wouldn't be your typical political campaign insider team, but I could not have foreseen the groundswell that built around that, it really built into this big grassroots effort that acted as a vortex that just continued to draw people in. It really felt like a groundswell. People felt a palpable energy from it. You know, there were people from my last 10 years of activism that that jumped in and brought their skills and talents, like you, Kat, you know, some of the best strategists organizers, creative mind, digital communications experts, communications experts in general, like we were able to have a team that was entirely independent of the central party itself and that lent a very special energy to this effort because it very much reinforced the fact that politics is local. It's not about you only having these three choices of of which party to go with. That can be disempowering for people. What I think was inspiring about this campaign is that it really reminded people that there's so much power in the local, the person, the actual human that you're electing, in the culture that can be built within neighborhoods. You know, we built a culture within the campaign that I think people saw and were inspired by. It was a campaign of really forward-looking energy. People really left their egos at the door It was, how can we do this with joy and with trust? It was like a decentralized leadership campaign because we didn't have a manager till the last two weeks. It was like, how do we really trust each other to bring our unique gifts? And it was all for the good of the whole. And I found that just so refreshing. So that's the different kind of politics, I guess. It's it's how do we do things for the good of the whole? And how do we do things in a way that prioritizes connection and community and everybody feeling seen? Because when you feel seen, you give your best. Um, to the collective, uh, and we really saw that playing out in the campaign.
2: The the mail-in ballots were being mailed in before you were even declared a candidate. Yeah, you know I you know
1: what what's something that I really take heart in. So we weren't visible in the writing. No one knew my name. No one knew anything about me, and we didn't have signs up till at least two weeks before, uh, around two weeks before E Day. Of the election day votes of the people who voted on election day, we won by a very small margin, but we won. And then the scales were tipped the other way through advance ballots and mail-in ballots. And I take real, I'm just very proud of the team for that, um, for that accomplishment. You know, we came in unknown and all the polls, the polls just showed us as having like a one and a half percent chance of winning. So if I were a voter in that writing, you know, uh, that's a hard choice to be faced with, to see like, oh, this this party has absolutely no chance of, of getting elected whatsoever. So of the E-Day votes, we won.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: So that leads to the question too, just from watching the ongoing discussion that's happening with people who are involved, um, this isn't the end, is it? What's next? <laughs> you know,
1: I was sort of dreading I was at peace with all outcomes. You know, we were sort of held in this limbo for three days after the election with, you know, a vote margin of a couple hundred votes waiting for the mail-in ballots. And I was at peace with all outcomes for myself because I knew, you know, I have so much important to work to do both ways. So I was OK for myself, but I was dreading, you know, a loss for the sake of the team because I just felt like so much beautiful energy had been built around this people just gave every last drop of energy people were like dragging their toddlers out past their bedtimes to volunteer on this campaign because they just they were like oh we only have a couple weeks it was this like intense time bound thing and i was like oh people's efforts they're gonna feel like their efforts were in vain but what i noticed after and it's it's unfolding right now and it's so encouraging people don't feel like their efforts were in vain. People feel like, oh, we just got started. You know, how can we keep going? And um, this idea of a different politics has really taken root. And I think there are people who are ready to continue organizing in this way, in this neighborhood, but replicating those efforts in other ridings because it is such a, um, you know, you can't beat grassroots organizing it's been shown time and time and time again it's just that's the gold standard and and it's the most rewarding thing it's the most beautiful thing it's what leads to these big groundswell moments so i think there's going to be um sort of people organizing within writing associations like this writing association and and across the country. There's a lot of power in a writing association that's overlooked often as a local political hub. You know, I was so inspired by my conversations with folks in some of the neighborhoods in Vancouver Granville. I think there's a great potential to keep building that local political culture through forums, you know, just free forums, spaces for people to gather and talk through politics part of that new culture is a culture of dialogue where politics isn't so polarized and like it's like oh you believe something different from me so you know you're you're the other and i don't like you and that sort of tribalism within our political discourse i think the only way through that is to just continue talking and to have the checks and balances of like a larger group of people Are talking through difficult things together and then having like really good facilitation so i want to do that i want to have i want to get neighborhoods together and talk through some of these things i want to neutralize some of the deeply flawed neoliberal logic that the non-progressive parties relied heavily on in this election it was demoralizing to see how these sort of uh, fear mongering, even economic ideas have been so deeply embedded through 40 years of neoliberalism. This things like a fear of spending, like the, the fear mongering around public investment. So I'm knocking on doors, talking to people and suddenly everyone's an armchair economist because they, they've they been instilled with this fear of like national debt and um, and like overspending. And, and I'm like, what does, you know, does the national debt have to do with your life in the face of the climate emergency right now? Sure, it has something. But most of this is to do with neoliberal logic that has that has uh, been thrown around as part of an election cycle. And I think the only way through that is to have these, these public conversations, these difficult conversations.
2: Yeah, I think that's interesting what you're saying. Like everyone's been instilled with these kind of fears. And we know that the the campaigning of the of your opposition kept playing on all of those things all the time. Just to recap to those listening who may not actually know the details of it, but how many weeks was your campaign and how did that compare to your opponent?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm proud of us. I, I decided to run, um, you know, in early August. I was declared as the candidate after a nomination race exactly one month, August 20th, before the election. And when I started, when I woke up, well, it was actually the night of August 19th, when I woke up on August 20th and I was like, okay, we have to do a campaign, I guess. There was uh, <laughs> no, no infrastructure in place. The writing association had $1,000 in its bank account. We had zero staff um, and basically no money and no campaign manager we had a few friends who formed a whatsapp group and said okay let's go um and then that whatsapp group grew and then once it was over 100 people in a few days we moved to a slack space and then once that slack space grew way out of control we said okay we're gonna do this whole campaign over a discord server and discord is a and this is just so perfect it really speaks to our our scrappy little campaign discord is a gaming platform that a lot of young folks are using. Kat, have you have you had any experience with Discord before the campaign?
2: Nope. This was the first time. And at first I hated it. I was like, what is this? And now I'm like, I'm telling, telling my team, I want one of these for our thousand screenings campaign now. I want a Discord because watching people self-organizing, being able to, in a good way, eavesdrop is just as important for building momentum. And I never realized it till I saw it. To be honest, it reminded me a little bit a totally different platform, but it reminded me a little bit of what it was like with the first corporation film, the way we organize people around the, the theatrical screenings. Now, this this time around, we've, COVID has taken away our theatrical screenings, but uh, figuring out how to rebuild that energy, because I think there's a lot of people who... Worked to get the film out into the world back then that felt similarly to your campaign people around the campaign. It's like they were feeling part of something. But to recap so you went into a campaign with an opponent that had been preparing for two and a half years, (laughs) who had two and a half years to be the candidate. You had exactly four weeks and no money, and you raised a significant amount of money in almost no time, built you had hundreds of people involved in in the 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 infrastructure by the end of the four weeks and you were part of what was described in the media as the closest race in the entire country for um right so this is amazing um and um now i I just want to sort of say like what What's next for what we could do together in terms of the energy? Because uh, I'll remind our listeners that she's also in the new corporation. <laughs> she's talking about climate change at a global level, and this is something that we would love to do more around with the promotion of the film. So, how can we how can we tap into the energy around this movement? Um, for that greater good we're all after with all of our projects.
1: And that's why I called you, Kat, when, when I when I first won the nomination to say, okay, we're running this campaign. A big piece of this is the themes um, that the new corporation tackled. How do we bring that into this campaign? I, I don't know that we actually had time to do that in a thoughtful way for the campaign itself, but for any... Any initiative going forward, you know, that needs to be a big piece of this. The corporate landscape, the rise of corporate power has changed the landscape of our politics, you know, and I think people need to understand that better to understand what we're up against. Why I don't believe that the Liberals or the current government is a progressive one is because of this fundamental logic of where corporate power is placed in the center of decision-making, where it's prioritized in decision-making. That to me is a fundamental difference between what would be actually progressive and what is the inertia of the status quo. And I don't think, I think the new corporation tackled that fundamental logic of like our corporations making these decisions when their interests are fundamentally not tied to people and the planet. And so that would be part of what I would want to see in these public forums or the organizing that's happening at a grassroots level going forward is everyday people having a chance to talk through these concepts in a way that is able to neutralize that kind of liberal logic in the next election and in subsequent ones. Because it's just this opaque thing that very few public education initiatives are actually tackling, which is why I was so passionate about the new corporation.
2: Fantastic. Anything you want to ask, Joel?
0: That's great. It's so wonderful uh, to to hear your thoughts, Anjali. And, and yeah, um, couldn't agree more that um, the issues that you're concerned about, the issues that we need to be concerned about, those are the issues we try to bring into the film, including your voice in relation to those issues, like in these clips from the new corporation.
1: It's also going to change the entire global dynamic uh, around equality. The world is going to divide in ways that we have a difficult time imagining now. We're headed for a world that sees a protected, privileged few surrounded by an immensely impoverished majority
0: of of the global population. With the impacts of climate change now in plain view, fossil fuel companies have stopped actively denying that it's happening.
1: They've discovered that a better strategy for them now in the age of active climate breakdown is to charm us all into believing that they're part of the solution. Saying, okay, we're going to invest in renewables, but meanwhile, we have to keep using fossil fuels for a long time. So, you know, we can use lighter fuels like natural gas, but we have to be realistic.
0: Yes, this idea of the charming new corporation. We're still trying to break that spell, and yeah, we want to get the film out there. We want to screen it and church basements and community halls and anywhere we can for anybody who'll watch and then have those discussions.
1: So how do we bring this into a public conversation into public conversation spaces you know it's one thing for it to be in a two-hour documentary but and but a screening of the two-hour documentary followed by a conversation is a great way for that to happen.
0: So far what I have found is the discussions that we have after screenings are amazing. I mean, they could go on for hours and hours and hours. I always feel like, oh, no, it's over now, you know, after an hour or whatever, um, because people really, really are wanting to talk about these issues in the same way that you found during the campaign. There's a, there's a thirst out there um, to talk about them and to act on them. We
1: absolutely have to have more opportunities to talk through these things together. And so I, I came away from the campaign with a real hunger for that myself, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I'd love to literally start a discord for the new corporation thousand screenings where everyone who ever gets involved in one of these discussions can join it. And then th- that conversation can just decentralize itself and continue. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about doing, inspired by the inspired by your campaign and also my own resistance to it. And then my complete and utter reversal. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You're the success story. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was not, I'm not a young gamer. I'm a old middle-aged person now. And suddenly I like that platform. (laughs) It's
1: great. You know, there were a lot of people like that. You know, we had seniors who had joined as volunteers and were loath to learn a new platform. And then suddenly they, they love it.
2: You
0: know, so Mm -hmm. fantastic. Thanks, Kat. And thank you so much, Anjali. Fascinating stuff. And we're so inspired by your run for office.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: So this interview with Anjali was recorded before COP26 and the current state of emergency in B.C. Now she and other NDP climate champions like Abby Lewis are busy calling to account the B.C. NDP over their treatment of the and land defenders and to treat the state of emergency as a climate emergency. So while this is the end of this episode, it's not the end of our discussions of protest and politics. Stay tuned. And thanks again to our behind the scenes team, Darcy Hamilton, who does all the technical stuff that I don't know how to do, Jen Evans, Suji Chowdhury, And of course, all of you out there in podcast land listening to the Unfortunately Necessary Podcast. We'll see you next time.